Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. My guest today is Susan D. Adario. You can connect with Susan at her website, back-to-sleep.com, and at her LinkedIn page. Additionally, as you know, I donate to and raise awareness for the organization or charity of my guest choice with each and every episode. And in this episode, Susan has brought to our attention the organization ASPCA, which does wonderful work with animals and pets who are in need. So please join me in donating. Any and all donations absolutely make a big difference. The link to her website, her LinkedIn page, and to ASPCA are all in the show notes. Now, why is this conversation important for you? Susan posits that sleep is probably the most important element of our well-being that we can take control of. And so in this conversation, we focus on all of the things that contribute to getting a good night's sleep and why it's so important. If we get a good night's sleep, how are our hormones operating? And if we don't, conversely, what's happening with our hormones that leads us to be grumpier, hungrier, less of the type of person that we want to be? We get into all sorts of nitty gritty as well around how much sunlight should we get, what temperature should we keep our room at, when should we stop eating dinner, what are some different spectrums of light that we're ideally getting and ideally blocking. And Susan also, by trade, is a clinical psychologist. So she has a fundamental understanding of human behavior that, coupled with her expertise around sleep science, makes her such a breadth of amazing information. And I wanted to give you a download of that on this episode. So you're going to want to take notes on this one. I link to so many different resources that Susan mentions in the show notes because there's things like blue light blocking glasses that can really make an impact on the light that's being received in your eyes. But there's also so many practical takeaways and insights that you'll get from listening. So please get a pen and paper ready. You're going to want to jot a bunch of things down. And with all of that said, let's settle in, take a deep breath. And enjoy all the wisdom that Susan has for us right now. Hi, Susan. Welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning. Hi, Mike. How are you? It's so nice to meet with you. By the way, are you? do you prefer Mike or Michael? I cannot remember. I prefer Mike. So Okay, uh, yeah. then that is what you will receive. Good. We'll go with Mike. And I'm doing really good. I've, I've been looking forward to having you on. It's when I got my coaching certification... I was mostly deep diving into my physiology as it pertains to movement, nutrition, and sleep. And on this program, I've focused a lot on inner work and leadership development, but it's fun to get back into some of the more nitty gritty. And, and I actually get the sense that we're going to go into all of that, all of the terrain of Mike's search for meaning, the, the practical, the spiritual, and yeah. so... 
I, I you know, don't I, have to, you'll have to rename your podcast to Beyond Mike's Search for Meaning. <laughs> That's so. right. So anyway, I, I start every interview the same way. And I would love to know, what was it like at your dinner table when you were growing up? At my dinner table growing up, we were basically always at home in the kitchen eating a home-cooked meal by my mother just about every single night. It was rare that we went out to dinner and it was just about never that we would do take home. So I'm, I'm now dating myself, okay? And both my parents were typically there. My mother was an excellent cook and there was a little bit of chit chat going on at the dinner table, but not like lengthy, deep conversations. As far as I'm aware, there might've been some talk about, you know, my father's day at work. There may have been some talk about school, uh, what was going on with my mother, but it was probably more eating than talking and everyone complimenting the meal after that. And then I was promoted to the position of chief cleanup when I turned about 10 years old. <laughs> so that was my experience growing up with All food right. at the dinner table. Yeah. So your first your first title was CCO or chief cleanup officer. And That's before, right. Before you tried That's on right. all the other Unfortunately. Hats <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I, that is one of my current titles. I, I am the chief cleanup officer in, in my household. So it's uh, I, I wear it with a, a giant badge of honor. And uh, good I, for I, salute, you. I salute you for starting when you were 10 years old. Oh, good. good. I um, Well, all right. I'll take that salute. Uh, I'm not going to turn down a salute. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was, you know, I grew up in an Italian American household and it was seen and that was the, the vision back then, maybe still is a little bit to this day, but that the women and I was in training apparently that, you know, we did the cleanup mm. and uh, so I, you know, I think my mother thought she was doing a really good thing. It wasn't really a big deal. I did it. And, and, and then, and then I got to what happened. I think I probably did homework after that or something. So it was just part of my evening, you know, and things uh -huh. I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that your first career path that you went down is a psychologist. Yeah, that was the first, that was the first career so prior to that, it wasn't my first type of employment. My first type of employment, once I graduated from college, was really focused on, I got very, very into the Italian culture. And when I was in college, I studied for a semester in Florence, Italy, and the whole purpose of going was to learn the language, which I did. So when I came back, I finished college, and then I was very into finding jobs that would have me using my new skill, the Italian language. So I worked for an Italian publishing company. I worked for a large Italian bank. I worked for a different, you know, this and that. And then ultimately, I went back to school. I got a, a master's degree in business, and I pursued a different course, which was with the United Way, and it was more of the not-for-profit world. And when I was at the United Way, that was an introduction to all these other smaller not-for-profit agencies and what they were doing and how they were helping people. And that just opened my eyes. And that was one of the things that led me to a, on yet a different path, getting 
out of the not-for-profit world. And, and United Way really was run kind of like, really like a corporation. But it, it also led me down a path to consider becoming a therapist because of it, it just called to me to be there to support people. And it also, that time frame, just to make it complete, that time frame also for me was a time when I was coming out as a lesbian. So I was in my own therapy at the time for support and it just all came together and started clicking. So I pursued yet more school, went back, got a master's of social work degree, started working for a substance abuse agency and helped people who had chronic substance use issues as well as mental health issues. And I pursued that and and worked. Yes. Now we get to your question. Yes. Yeah. I was a psychotherapist for probably just around 25 years. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for filling in all the gaps. It's, I find it. I, I love connecting the dots of people's stories and, and hearing what brought you here. And I'm wondering before we get into sleep, I which I want to spend most of our time talking about, was like, it doesn't sound like the family culture of, of your family was, I don't know, like the, deeply rooted in understanding human behavior or, I mean, I'm jumping to conclusions here. We didn't really talk that much about your family, but would you say that it was innate in you that you wanted to like when you were younger, that you at some point wanted to be, call it making a difference or, or supporting people uh, or had a, a passion for human behavior? Or was it maybe something that you came to, but like you named that when you were coming out as a lesbian, you had experience with therapy and, and maybe that stoked the curiosity in you in a way that it wasn't ignited when you were younger? Yeah, I think I'm going to say yes to all of the above. Mm. So 100% when I was a kid, and this, I think, uh, also was in my mother, I was very about being in some way, shape or form, either uh, someone who cared, a caretaker, a healer, uh, a good listener. Uh, I remember being in kindergarten and seeing a friend of mine cry and I started crying with her just because she cried, like it just hit me in my heart and my soul. So I feel that that was an innate in me as it was in my mother. And then as time went on, it grew and if you will, became more professionalized. I, I in, in, enhanced and embraced the skill, but also broadened it and, and brought some knowledge to it so a little bit of all of the above yeah thank you that that was visceral with the uh the kindergarten example i can i Ugh, can feel that yes. too yeah yeah i want to get back to like, like the way that i envision this conversation going is we'll talk about sleep and i imagine the 25 years in psychology as a therapist it probably informs a lot about the way that you look at holistically what is what goes into someone sleeping well but i want to actually just start with what what brought you into this world of helping people sleep better i had reached a point where i was growing a bit weary honestly of being a therapist that's a very i feel a very rewarding but extremely committed type of position. And there are times when people are in crisis and I wanna be there for that, but I was also starting to feel weary. And so I wasn't quite ready at all to retire, but I knew I wanted to pivot. 
And I honestly was having and had had for a long time my own sleep issues. And I went to more than one doctor about it. My, you know, primary care physician spoke about it, did some lab tests, everything looked fine, blah, blah, blah. But I really had a difficult time feeling alert. And I remember even when I was a therapist, there were times that in between a client, I actually would run out to the corner store and get a shot of espresso to pump me up because I truly was exhausted. Anyway, I um, one time was driving home. And I had just finished playing volleyball and I had just gotten off. I was in Manhattan. I had just gotten off the West Side Highway and I was now looking for a parking space on a quiet street, but I actually nodded off behind the wheel very quickly. And there was an alarm that went off in me. So I smashed, I slammed on the brakes, but boy, did that, say something to me like this is not a joke this is not something to take lightly this is serious I, that could have happened on the west side highway and i could have gone into someone i could have killed someone i could have been killed etc etc it just sounded an alarm so from that point i started researching myself on sleep and it wasn't about what pills to take which is pretty prominent with regard to what to do about someone who can't sleep. If you talk to a physician or any other kind of doctor, if you will, that is a quick fix. But it was more about, you know, what could I do? What was going on? What, you know, what, what, what? And then ultimately, I found this certified sleep science program online. And I, I signed up for it. And now I was really getting into it and more of the scientific approach to how our brains are working and what's going on and what may have been going on for me. And I also simultaneously started to attend this actually terrific program for coaches, um, wellness type of coaches, all, all, all different types to help them with their branding and marketing, et cetera, et cetera. So then that really propelled me to commit myself and to focus myself on, hey, I'm going to be a certified sleep science coach. And that was uh, a little over four years ago, five years ago, probably. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Mm. Well, I want to unpack this in, in several different ways. I, one of the ways that I would love to explore this with you is just what is what did you learn about what is happening in your brain. So there's, there's kind of a, what, yeah, what is happening before we start to talk about the different ways that we can optimize for our sleep. And there's, there's many different ways I imagine, but let's just start with the, what did you learn about the science of what's happening in the brain? And yeah, we'll start there. Well, what I learned was, was that, you know, there is throughout our body, there are different clocks some are minor clocks and in your brain, there's this thing called your master clock. And that that is dictating your rhythm, your sleep rhythm, your circadian rhythm. And the problem, you know, what I picked up on is that artificial light has a huge and enormous impact on this master clock and gives it information which is inaccurate gives it information that is extremely confusing to your master clock. 
And as a consequence, your master clock is not releasing the appropriate hormones. For example, melatonin is our sleep hormone, not releasing that when it should in the quantity it should, and not releasing, for example, our wake-up hormone, which is cortisol, when it should. And the vast majority of people, and I include myself in this statement, are troubled by having an overabundance of wake-up hormone at night, cortisol, and melatonin is nowhere to be found, and then an overabundance of melatonin in the morning, which is also inappropriate, and cortisol is not found. So we're, you know, our, our, our clock is off. And so I learned that about the brain. I also learned the value of sleep and why it's important to sleep. And it has an enormous impact, sleep. I am biased. I know you said you were involved in, you know, uh, movement and nutrition and God bless you. I'm very happy you said that will add stress to that list too, right? The impact of stress, but I am a sleep coach. So forgive my bias, but amongst all those sleep is number one. Sleep is number one, because if you miss a day of movement of walking, of bike riding, or this and that. You might not be happy about it, but you'll be okay. And you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Even if you miss two days, you'll be grumpy maybe, but you'll still be okay. If you don't eat during the day, you're going to be hungry, but you're not going to be miserable and not be able to do the things you want to do, et cetera, et cetera. You miss a night of sleep, you're going to be catastrophic. And heaven forbid, it's two nights of sleep. Heaven forbid. And it, it can create a panic. I actually just spoke to someone yesterday on the phone who was in a panic. And the more we panic, the more difficult it is to sleep. So it's the impact on us, lack of sleep right here in the moment that is really problematic. But it is also a long-term impact that if we do not sleep sufficiently or if we do not have good quality of sleep over the long course of things, it could have a devastating impact on our overall well-being. Mm -hmm. And to that, I'll just say, I compare it to, let's say we, you and I go out and we have a nice drink and we're having so much fun. We have maybe more than we should have had to drink, right? And so we wake up the next day and it's like, oh, I don't feel well. And that's a very quick experience of having too much alcohol. Like you wake up and you have a hangover. So that's like when you don't sleep enough, you wake up and you just feel, oh, I'm just so tired. But the same thing with alcohol. If people were to go out, let's say on a nightly basis or several nights a week basis, and they're drinking and they're drinking, they're drinking over the course of years and then decades, that will have an impact on their well-being that will have an impact on their vital organs. And so I, I use that simply as a, a, an example, a metaphor or model, just that's the same thing with sleep. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about tomorrow, I didn't sleep last night, so tomorrow I feel horrible. It's like, if I don't, if I don't start to sleep well, boy, am I making my life a little bit more difficult, much more difficult than it needs to be. And by the way, I will say this, even in just one night of not sleeping, if you were to go to get your blood levels tested that next morning, 
they would be elevated just from one night. You may not feel that, but that is actually a very quick short-term response in addition to feeling exhausted. So forgive me for going on and on. No, all yours. This is long form, Susan. No forgiveness necessary. I I encourage you to share whatever insights that you have. Oh, thank you. I love the the deep and rich explorations that we go on. One of the things I'm curious about, there's many, but one of them right now is that we've named artificial light and alcohol, and and I guess stress was was brought up as well as disruptors of sleep. And you've already named the way that. In the morning, cortisol, which actually, I think it gets a bad name, but it's a very necessary hormone, especially in the morning. Correct. And at night, uh, melatonin to be produced. So I'm already getting a sense of, okay, that's ideal. We want cortisol to be produced when we're waking up. We want melatonin to be produced when we're going to bed. Besides artificial light and alcohol and stress, or even if you just want to explain more about those, what are some disruptors of sleep and optimal hormone production? Okay, let's just go over a list and then feel free to, with regard to light, it has to do with brightness of light. Light is two factors, brightness. Brightness at night agitates your brain. So that's issue number one. The other thing about light is in all white light, and by the way, in the sleep world, we refer to white light as junk light, just putting that out there. In all white light, there are colors that you don't see, but they are always there. Those are the colors of the rainbow spectrum. And amongst those colors, blue light confuses the hell out of your brain. And it actually has your brain believing at night that if there is blue light, even if you open your refrigerator, let's say, there's white light, well, there's blue light. Your brain will be under the impression that if there is blue light, it is daytime. And that is problematic because if it if your brain is convinced it's daytime, it will not release the melatonin. So brightness and blue light, temperature has an enormous impact on your ability to sleep. Your brain is wired to associate coolness with nighttime. So if one is sleeping in an environment that is too warm, they will probably 100% wake up during the night and not really be able to go back to sleep easily or do that on and off thing, that, you know, restful, restless type of sleep. So temperature matters. Not getting enough light in the morning and then during the day, but early in the morning, that's talking to your master clock. And I don't mean regular artificial light when I say that. I'm talking about what I call strong light. Strong light exposure would include outdoors, like sunlight or daylight, and special type of lighting that you could use indoors that would be sufficiently strong that would speak to your master clock. So morning light. Caffeine could have an enormous impact on your sleep. And I know that there are people who say, ah, I drink coffee after my dinner, I can sleep, there's no problem. I promise each and every one of them, even if they manage to sleep, that caffeine is severely compromising the quality of their sleep. There is no question. And I will just add, caffeine, there are two factors about it that we should pay attention to. Number one, 
I think we all know, it is a stimulant. So ingesting a stimulant, and caffeine takes forever to get out of our body. It takes forever. The half-life of caffeine is on average six hours. And I won't go, we could do the calculations, but most people are going to sleep with caffeine in their bodies. So you add a stimulant to when you're trying to sleep. The other thing about caffeine is this, it molecularly is just about identical to a neurochemical, which is called adenosine. Adenosine is something that the brain releases starting in the morning, and it is supposed to release it throughout the day. In our brains, we have these receptors that are called adenosine receptors. And what happens is this adenosine collects during the day in these receptors. And by the end of your day to nighttime, what adenosine does, it, it, it brings about drowsiness, just like melatonin brings about drowsiness. Well, here's the catch. Because caffeine and adenosine basically look like identical twins, when you have, when you ingest caffeine, it slips into the adenosine receptors. And so it blocks your accumulation of adenosine. So you have stimulant and lack of adenosine. So we'll add that to the list as well. Caffeine eating dinner too close to bedtime will absolutely your quality of sleep will nosedive and as a sleep coach i use a sleep tracker i do it because i guess i should right everyone's my clients have them so i figured i might as well get one well i i do find some value and what's hysterical is so there are times for example recently on sunday night i was out later than usual and i ate later than usual and sure enough, sure enough, my beautiful sleep tracker the next morning said, hmm, you know what? Your heart rate didn't really slow down until much later at night. Could it be that you ate too closely to dinner? And the answer is guilty as charged. So you don't want to burden your brain with having to focus on digestion because when you're sleeping, there's too much that your brain is involved in to, to, to help you with your restoration, the restoration of your body, the restoration of your mind. And when you say, okay, well, brain here, guess what? I just ate, you know, beautiful dinner. And I'd like for you to digest that simultaneously while you're doing those other things. It doesn't work that way. So neither is done well. You do not get a good quality of sleep and you do not digest well. And I have found, by the way, that many people that I work with, they when I ask them about their eating and their patterns and their routines, and those who tell me, oh, I never have breakfast, I'm just not hungry in the morning, those are frequently the people who, who eat late at night, and they still haven't really digested their dinner by the morning time, so they're not hungry. So dinner is can work for you or against you. There's a nice time period you want at minimally, minimally of two hours after a meal before you sleep, preferably three. Um, and then I'll just add one last one and maybe others will come up. Um, it is not in a person's interest right before going to sleep to shower. And I know many people think that that is a great thing to do because it's so relaxing. And there is truth to that. On one hand, if you're showering, and you're in a warm shower or warm bath, that will relax your musculature. But on the other hand, the problem is, is what is supposed to happen at night is our core body temperatures need to drop. That is part of our circadian rhythm. When they drop, 
that is yet another way that your brain knows to give the signal to release melatonin. So imagine if now you come out of this really hot shower, that is not really going to help your core body temperature to stay dropped. As a matter of fact, it's going to push it up and it will take your brain approximately one and a half hours to two hours to bring it down. So people who have trouble falling asleep, if they are doing this late night bath or shower, that might be behind some of their troubles as well. With that, I think of also working out too late at night for most people is not in one's interest. You are going to raise your core body temperature. You're going to raise your cortisol levels. And the two of them combined just isn't, you know, conducive to a restful night of sleep. So something instead like light stretching, you know, to bring about your relax, to bring about your body comfort is ideal. And I am all for body movement. But I'm not all for, unfortunately, people who are desperate to get their workouts in. So they they take away from their sleep in order to get their workouts in in the morning. I I don't think that's helpful whatsoever to be sleep deprived, to force yourself to do something with exertion. It's kind of like, as far as I'm concerned, shooting, shooting yourself in the foot. It is not the intended result. I am sure of it that these people are seeking. So. I'll leave it at that for now. Hopefully I've, I've answered the question sufficiently at this point. Sufficiently and beautifully. And I, I do have some clarifying questions to, to get even more into the nitty gritty, but I, I want to underline two things from what you said before I get into my questions. And one, which I learned a few years ago, which really profoundly changed the way I viewed my sleep cycle is as you named our sleep cycle really starts the second that we wake up in the morning and uh, getting sunlight in the morning in in the wee hours of the morning ideally as the sun is coming up it really impacts your sleep and i think that it's easy to fall into the trap of only focusing on let's say the last two hours of your day as a wind down routine for sleep hygiene but it's really important to focus on the totality of the day and something else that I wanted to underline from what you said, which I think maybe is my biggest area for growth and development, because I love to eat closer to bedtime. But you said two to three hours, ideally, at least that we stop eating before going to bed because our body. Go ahead. Stop eating dinner. But dinner. If, if one would like to snack, then we could have a whole discussion on snacking. Okay, understood. Well, so now I, now I want to get into some of the nitty gritty clarifying questions. Caffeine, first, do, do you drink coffee or tea? Yes, and, okay. I drink coffee every morning. And what time would you say, if we're really trying to optimize for our sleep, what time would you say is best to stop caffeine intake by? Right. I mean, typically you'll hear 2 p.m. My recommendation is noon. Mm -hmm. So that's the time frame. And then we should look at what's the quantity of mm -hmm coffee. So when we talk about coffee and caffeine and the amount of milligrams of caffeine per cup, once upon a time, a cup of coffee was eight ounces until Starbucks came along and reinvented coffee cup sizes, right? They became almost like popcorn bucket sizes when you go to the <laughs> movies. That's what our coffee is drunk out of from today. But it was really eight ounces. And per eight ounce cup of coffee, there is more or less 100 milligrams of caffeine. Depends on the coffee you drink. 
also, because some coffees are much more highly caffeinated than others. And that's kind of marketed. That is the trend these days. People like that. It's kind of like wines. California wines are, are typically much higher in alcohol than a European wine. And that is by design. So I hate to pick on Starbucks, but my understanding is that, you know, if if you had an eight ounce cup of coffee and it was a McDonald's cup of coffee, McCafe, you'd probably be consuming 80 milligrams of caffeine. If you had that same eight ounce coffee from, let's say, Dunkin Donuts, it would probably be about 120 milligrams of caffeine. If you had it from Starbucks, it would probably be about 180 ounces of caffeine. So there's a significant difference also in the the coffee bean itself. So I would recommend say, what do I have? I have a 12 ounce cup of coffee. It's like a mug. I think most of us drink when we're at home, we use a mug. I have it in the morning. I'm done with my coffee by about... 8.30 or so, and I'm done. I'm really, I'm done. But the way the coffee would, would, would play out would be this. Let's just, let's just say someone has two cups of coffee, which is pretty common. And let's just make it somewhere in the middle. Let's just make it a Dunkin' Donuts coffee. And so, and they're done, they're done with their coffee. Let's make it, let's make it at noon. So, Here's how we'll play it. The first cup of coffee, and then we'll look at the second cup of coffee. The first cup of coffee, I'm just going to keep it at 100 milligrams of caffeine. I'm doing this in my head, so I'm just going to make it easier for me. First cup of coffee, this person has it at 8 o'clock. So they have their coffee at 8 o'clock, and it's 100 milligrams, and and there's a six-hour half-life. So six hours by 8 a.m. is 2 p.m. So they are now down to 50 milligrams of coffee. And then you go another six hours after that and you're back to 8 p.m. And they're going to be, you know, a little bit less than where they were. 25 milligrams of coffee, excuse me, of caffeine. Then let's add in. So by 8 p.m., about 25-ish. Now let's put in coffee number two. And they had this closer to noon. So from noon and six hours later, it's 6 p.m. They're down to 50. And then another six hours later, which is midnight, now they're going to be at 25. So when they go to sleep, let's say their bedtime is about 10-ish, and I've taken off some caffeine, they're probably close to about 60 milligrams of caffeine, which is almost equivalent to once upon a time, eight ounce cup of coffee that was 100 milligrams. So we're going to sleep with a cup of coffee. Most people, this 2 p.m. recommendation means that for sure, you're going to sleep with a cup of an amount of caffeine in your system that's equivalent to a, 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 an old-fashioned cup of coffee of eight ounces. Yeah, and to simplify this, and I, I'm totally with you here, but if uh, if the math seems like it's jumbled and confusing for the listener, I'll say the the simplification of this to me is with every cup of coffee you have, the amount of caffeine is reduced by half every six hours, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you just look at if, if it's two, if we stopped at 2 p.m. and had a cup of coffee at 2 p.m., that means that 25% of the amount of caffeine that we had will still be in our system at 2 a.m. when that's correct. Going well, well said. Brilliant. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And uh, with all the other things that we have going on in life, you know, one thing I didn't bring up that could interfere in sleep, of course, is stress and feeling anxious and having so much on your mind and, you know, and I, I promise you that caffeine is, is 
not is not helpful to add caffeine to that. You know, what's these thoughts that could be stressful? It's not. So, all right. So with blue light and junk light, I we've already named it. It's pretty much pervasive in in our households. It's it seems to emit from almost anything. It could be from ceiling lights. It could be from lamps, computers, phones, televisions, even refrigerator. Like you said, are there other sources and how do we guard against that? Other sources could be digital. It's a bit digital lights in your bedroom. Could be some people sleep with their computers in the bedroom, which I don't necessarily recommend, but things like that, like you, you, you know, your, 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 your bedroom, you don't even realize it. So I've worked with many, many people and the vast majority of them sleep in a dark bedroom, but no one really, no one sleeps in a pitch dark bedroom. And so what's interfering in this is, as I said, these little lights that may be on, a digital clock that may be on, lighting coming inside from outside that may be this, a hallway light, lighting coming in from down the hallway because they have a living room window that's opposite their bedroom door. And so here comes that light. So it, it is pervasive. So ways to, ways to get around lighting and helping out with this brightness and the blueness is what I will share with people is number one, think about it this way in nature. And what I mean by that is when we're outside, there is no such thing in nature as that we go from bright light to darkness. There is always a transition. And the evening that transition is known as sunset or twilight. And who kind of kind of really gets the the sun is setting literally and even in the morning with sunrise it's not immediately that it's a bright sunny day there is a transition the sun is rising it's getting brighter it's bright you know cat stevens song morning has broken it's is is going on when this is all happening and yet indoors we don't have that transition so when we dim our lights or darken our lights at night That is a wonderful way. And I'm not just referring exclusively to monitors. I'm talking about in your rooms. I will share with people and they'll say, I don't have dimmers. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Turn off your primary lights. Your brain cannot stand overhead lighting at night, hates it. Turn off your lights and get yourself a small lamp. And if you have a lamp, if you're doing anything, let's say that you need to see, I always will say to them, do not put the lamp in front of you, put it behind you so it's not shining in your eyes. And the goal is you're creating ambient lighting. I worked with someone the other day who told me he was stubbing his toe at night because it was so dark. So we had to we had to work on that. But we don't want people injuring themselves, all right? But we do want people creating a twilight. I'll, I, in a nutshell, I will say to people, make your home look romantic. Mm-hmm. And one of the big culprits of this is bathroom lighting. Bathroom lighting is really obnoxious. It is so bright. And people, you know what? What do you do right before you go to bed? Go to the bathroom and you turn on this light. And it's, it's, it's the worst thing we can do. So for that... I recommend all the time for people to get a dimmable nightlight that goes in your bathroom and comes with an amber light bulb versus a white light bulb. Because all an amber white bulb is, by the way, is it is a white light bulb from which they have extracted blue light. So from a certain time, depending upon this 
a person's bedtime, typically I'll, nine o'clock is a, is a good time. It's like when you go into the restroom until the next morning when you wake up, no more turning on the regular bathroom light. Just walk in and, you know, the, the night light I recommend to people has a slider. Just slide it up slightly to the amount of light you really need. And when you leave, pull it back down. So we're addressing it that way. With regard to blue light and helping with that, the amber light bulb is a solution because, or red light is the best light of all at night. White is like the worst, red is the best. So you could replace light bulbs. I've done this in my bathroom and bedroom lamps. I've replaced the white light bulbs with amber light bulbs. You really can't even see the difference. But more than that, because that's fine, but what about if you wanna watch TV at night? And I am not opposed to that, by the way. Uh, it's, it's the only thing I would address about TV is, okay, we got to get that blue light out of your eyes. So for that, I always, always recommend people wear what we call blue light blocking glasses for the nighttime. And they are different than those that we wear in the daytime. These 100% have to have orange colored lenses. They go by the name of Amber, but typically they will block 99% of blue light. So I and just about all of my clients, you will see us, you'll recognize us at night. We are the people walking around with these orange glasses on and your brain, people respond quickly to these really quickly. If they've been having problems and a lot of times people are just very focused on their, their thoughts and their stress, but I will always start them with the brass text and even if they just block the blue light, they can start to sleep again. Many of them, not all of them, but many of them. So if things look orange when you first put it on, I promise you, your brain adapts to it and you don't know you have them on. I have gone out on more than one occasion to walk my dog at night and I have my glass. So I wear glasses, regular glasses, the glasses I use, I put right over my glasses, very fashionable look. <laughs> and I have walked outside, not remembering and realizing I had them on to walk my dog. So my brain, and when I first started using them, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is not really, I'm not happy about this. I had just purchased a brand new color TV and everything looked orange. I'm like, I'm not thrilled about this at all, but it will just be patient with your brain. It will acclimate. It will. Now I that sometimes I'm watching TV and I get nervous and I actually have to touch my face to make sure they're on me. Mm. So it's, it's that convincing. Other things to do. Am I still answering your question? Am I answering your question? Other yes. things to do to get around it. You would want to sleep in a nice, cool, comfortable room. The recommended temperature range is between, and it really varies according to, I've worked with people all over the world. So 62 to 72 is the range. However, I promise you that 72 for most of us here in the States is too high. And the vast majority of people do best at around 67 degrees. 72 degrees is, is, I think, better for folks who grew up and are maybe still living in environments that are warm. 
India and, you know, other places like that, they, they can't possibly consider going under 72. But so that for them is cool. But for us, no. And, and, and you know, and I just want to note one thing before I even go on all these things about the light, the coolness, the, the strong light exposure in the morning. This is all based upon our hunter-gatherer, God bless them, our hunter-gatherer ancestors who were outside 24-7 and had this exposure for hundreds of thousands of years to the sun, and their brains became wired to connect with the messages of the sun. And that is why artificial light is also so artificial, if you will. Our brains are still wired to connect with the rhythm of the sun. So when we dim at night, that is a cue that represents sunset. When we block blue light at night, that is essential because prior to artificial light, there was no blue light at night. That is a that is a function of sunrise up until about sunset. We're just going back to how things, what we're wired for and how things always work. Even the coolness we are wired for coolness at night and your brain is just watching and and looking. And if you wake up during the night and you're sweating, that's a hint. That's a hint. A couple couple of things about blue light. And before we move on to all the other amazing things I want to talk about for daytime and nighttime, you said that there's two different types of glasses. Do you have a recommendation that you make to your clients? I I would love to link in my show notes just. For uh, the the daytime are simply blue light blocking glasses for the sole. They'll have lenses that appear clear. Anybody can get them right. I, I, I always keep going back to Amazon, God bless them. But, but the, the lenses are principally clear. The value of blue light blocking glasses in the, in the daytime is for those people who are on their monitors all day long, every day, because blue light could have a damaging impact on your eye health. It, they could be behind the formation of cataracts, as an example. So that's very appropriate to wear blue light. I do not want to, though, villainize blue light. Blue light is natural, and when you are outside, you are bombarded by it. This speaks to your brain. And by the way, I don't think it is a coincidence that in the daytime there is a blue sky. Mm -hmm. There is no coincidence. Mm -hmm. So we're just connecting with nature. Blue light tells your brain it's daytime. At night, the glasses, I believe they are called Spectra 479 Amber blue light blocking glasses, Spectra with an A there. I wear them. They are, What I like about them is they're kind of wide on the side because when you have a thin side here on your glasses, that will let some blue light come in from the periphery. So these are kind of wide. And I also like them because they fit over glasses. So if you don't wear glasses, it's not that they won't work for you. They will. So they'll work. The one thing I will say about buying blue light glasses is be careful because some people, when I, when I have, they've gone, come back to me and they're like, well, they're okay, but they're giving me a headache. And I'm like, you bought reading glasses, didn't you? And so without realizing it, you can go on to buy these things and they, they may have bought a different brand or whatever, because there's so many of them out there but they are definitely have reading glasses that are blue light blocking. So just take note to make sure if you don't want reading glasses, do not buy them because you will have a headache too. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. Okay. So those are blue light glasses. The nightlight that I recommend is uh, Lohas, L-O-H-A-S. 
Lojas Amber Dimmable Plug-in Nightlight. You can get two of them packaged right now on, on Amazon. They're going for about $11. They are great. And people like them so much that they let me know that they'll buy more of these nightlights. And that's what they use for lighting in their home at night. They just start plugging in these nightlights. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Awesome. I'll, I'll make sure I link to that. And I think another thing that I want to name, I forget when I learned this, but it's been really helpful. If for some reason you absolutely need to be on your computer past sunset, 6, 7 p.m., there's a program that I have on my computer called F-Lux. And I don't know yep. if you're, yeah. Yes, Flux, yep. Flux. And it automatically reduces the lighting yes. significantly. You can adjust it and can temper yes. with whatever lighting that you want. But at 6 p.m., my computer is significantly darker. And right. that makes a really big impact as well. Yes, 100%. And that is for computers. If one is looking at their phone, put the, putting their phone onto night mode will accomplish that. All those things are, are helpful. But the problem is, is that for people is that when they get up from their computers, then they're exposed to white light and bright light in their homes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you can use that program, but I would still say that be mindful of the lighting sources in your home then. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, we've done a nice crash course on all of the lighting and, and the way that it affects our brain and our sleep cycle. I'm wondering if you could speak to what is the sleep cycle? What ideally, like how much deep sleep are we getting? How much REM sleep? What's what's happening in our brain when we're sleeping? Sure. So let's just go to a uh, this the the what people think. Well, people refer to as the golden amount of sleep is eight hours for an adult. Eight hours is not golden amount. It is simply and the average of the range, and the range is seven to nine hours. Now. What I don't quite get, honestly, is in 1910, the average American was getting nine hours of sleep, which means their range was eight to 10 hours versus our range being seven to nine. So I still have not gotten a good explanation. What happened to that hour of sleep? Like, why do we suddenly not need what they were getting? I just say it's probably our society. There is a lot of maybe stigma, bias, whatever, that if you sleep too much, you're lazy. There's a lot of negative connotations that go with this. It's very unfortunate. So that would be my guess as to what happened to that hour. But so let's just make it eight hours because that is, that's an average. Now, let's say one has also a very stereotypical 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. bedtime. The way it would be if it were textbook perfect is that 50% of your sleep would in be in the stage of light sleep. Approximately 25% of your sleep would be in the stage known as rapid eye movement sleep or REM sleep. And 20-ish plus would be in deep sleep. So when people, that's one thing I don't like about sleep trackers is when they see they have like 50% of light sleep compared to the others, many people are convinced that they have a problem. And they don't. So I, I, I do wish that those who offer sleep trackers would also provide really good explanations so people don't start getting worried, which, of course, will impact their sleep. Now, 
The way it also works out is when we fall asleep, we first go into light sleep and things will start to we drift, we start to slow down, our body, you know, all the breathing, things are slowing down. The first half of the night is really a back and forth between light and deep sleep. That would be in a perfect scenario. Then at about two-ish, then it shifts and deep sleep kind of passes the baton to REM sleep. And so the second half of the night is light sleep shifting on and off with REM sleep. In REM sleep, by the way, that is when most of our dreaming occurs. So it is not unusual that when we awaken in the morning, you will be in a dream. And, and frequently that's the only dream you remember, but that's why you're waking up in a dream because REM is prominent that second half of the night. That is pretty much what we're wired for. I do want to add this though. Seven to nine hours is extremely subjective, meaning that I am a person, honestly, I need those nine hours. More often than not, I am really good with nine hours. You, Mike, you may be terrific with seven hours. Someone else may be great with seven and a half hours, eight hours, and so on and so forth. Getting nine hours is not better or worse than someone getting seven hours or eight hours. It's just what my need is. So I want to emphasize that. I find that many, many people are desperately trying to get the eight hours. And if they get something a little bit less or a little bit more, like something's not right, and that's also incorrect, it's probably just fine for you. But I do want to also take note of this. It is not up to us to decide the amount of sleep that is necessary. Because many people will come to that conclusion based upon what they want to do during the day. Like, I want to get up at five o'clock to work out. And they will say, well, I got my seven hours of sleep, so I'm good. But if they need more than seven hours of sleep, they're not really good. They're sleep deprived. So I always encourage a person, always, to start being connected with the messages they're getting from their brain. And messages... For example, could be, gee whiz, I was watching TV and I was on the couch watching TV and I fell asleep at nine o'clock. I fell asleep and I woke up at 11 and then I dragged myself to sleep and boy, it wasn't that good after that. Well, the message is that your brain is tired, right? That is a message and people sometimes resist things. They resist the messages they're getting from their brain. They resist the message in the, in the morning that the brain is maybe too tired because they're determined to get up to do things. They resist the message to go to sleep at night. Another big one is, well, I have worked all day long and now I want my me time. And unfortunately, people believe that social media is much more about me time than sleep. And I will work with them to share that in my view, social media is anti-me time and there's nothing more me time than sleep. There is nothing more in our lives that will help us to support us, to allow us to become our optimal selves than sleep. When you feel, I mean, it's, it, sleep is equivalent to taking your car to a gas station. And do you fill it up? And do you fill it up with premium? Or do you kind of go for a quarter of a tank and the junk gas? And I promise you, one of those cars is going to run for longer and better based upon how it's being filled up. And sleep fills us up.
And in terms of, if I may, what the stages offer with regard to our, you know, our, our well-being, light sleep, I don't want to discard it. Light sleep is important. There's some memory that can occur, memory retention that can occur in light sleep. And it also is important because it prepares us for the other stages as well. Light sleep is that stage, by the way, when let's say you are with someone and again, it might be in front of a television and their head starts to bob. And they might be out for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and, and you're talking and you realize that they're not answering you. And maybe 15 minutes or so later, they suddenly wake up and you might say to them, oh, you're awake. And they will swear to you <laughs> on a stack of 100 Bibles that they were not sleeping. They will swear to you. And that is light sleep. So it's so light that you're asleep, but you don't even realize it. You don't even realize it. So, but deep sleep, I'll just go right into deep sleep, but deep sleep has to offer many, many things, but let me focus on two things at least. So deep sleep, what happens is one of the things is that this is the, the stage of sleep and the time during your 24 hour day that growth hormone is released. So let's say you have an injury or it's just the wear and tear of everyday usage of your body or you are working out and you're trying to tone yourself and accomplish more strength or uh, musculature, uh, all those things. It is during your deep sleep that growth hormone is released, which is equivalent to, I, I say it this way, what we do during the day to strengthen ourselves is planting the seeds. And while we're asleep and deep sleep is watering those seeds. So if you and someone else you know are both working out and you pretty much have very identical backgrounds but they're, and you do the same workouts, and the, but, but you're sleeping well and this other person is not, I promise you that you will accomplish much more with not having to exert nearly as much if you are sleeping compared to the other person. So... That's one of the things, uh, repair of ligaments, tendons, uh, muscles, bones, even all those things. The other thing that happens in deep sleep that's very, very important is this. There is, during deep sleep, cerebral spinal fluid from your neck spine will come up and it will go into your brain during deep sleep and actually act kind of like a car wash. It's washing it. So what, what's it, why is it doing that? So your brain is active 24-7 your entire life. And there are many things we know about what it's doing, but there are many things it's doing we're not even aware of it, but things are happening nonetheless. Well, well, because of all this energy that this brain is using, um, there is this byproduct that you know comes out as a result of that energy usage. And the byproduct is like this kind of sticky cluster. It's a sticky amyloid cluster. And these clusters accumulate during the day in your brain. So the value and purpose of this cerebral spinal fluid car wash is to get rid of that stickiness in your brain. That will be part of why you wake up feeling refreshed. In fact, layperson's terms for deep sleep is that's our beauty sleep. So now instead, let's go to a, a person who has either inadequate quantity of sleep or quality of sleep, and let's fast forward a decade or two. What they have discovered is if these clusters, these sticky clusters are not cleaned out, 
that they can act as a precursor to the formation of Alzheimer's disease. So there is, again, restoration of the body and the mind in deep sleep. There's so much restoration that occurs. There's strengthening your immune system. I don't think it's a coincidence at all that when we feel under the weather, typically we just innately want to rest. We might want to lie down. Well, guess what? When you're sleeping, it bolsters your immune system. So isn't that brilliant of nature to have us feel sleepy when we don't feel that well? Okay, I'm going to just catapult now to REM sleep. REM sleep, dream state sleep, very important. Also, REM sleep is really also very supportive of, supportive of your brain and your mind. So it is in REM sleep that you are able, whatever you, let's say you learn a whole, you will, you will learn a whole bunch today throughout your day. When you go to sleep tonight and you go through the different stages of REM, whatever you're learning today is being implanted in your brain because of this sleep stage. So it is part of what helps us to form and create long-term memories. REM sleep also offers us an ability to be creative. It is part of what supports that. There may be situations in life that one encounters. Let's say something happened on the job and you're not really sure about which direction to take, just not quite sure. And you go to sleep like just, hmm, not really, not really convinced about the best approach. And then you wake up in the morning and you say, well, this is what I'm going to do. And it's clear as day. Well, that also is an impact of REM sleep. REM sleep, when we are in this subconscious state, it can be a little bit psychedelic. Like we can look at different things and be very creative and have newfound solutions that ordinarily would not have occurred to us in our waking state. And finally, the other thing that I'll say, which is I find to be quite fascinating, is lack of REM sleep can interfere in our ability to interpret correctly or properly people's facial expressions. So you'll look at a person and you and I, you know, we're looking and we can have an expression and I can see something. I'm like, oh, all right. He smiled and, and I could, and you could, and the rest of us could get that. But for those people who are deficient in their REM sleep, so something happened in the second half of their night. And by the way, alcohol devastates the second half of night of sleep. So that would be a, a situation where someone would have a hard time. Those folks what happens is not only do you misinterpret someone's facial expressions, typically the misinterpretation is more of a negative perspective. You're interpreting things that, you know, uh, he seemed kind of angry or the, and so it is a big problem for people who have night shifts and they're not getting this REM sleep when they should be getting it, that they can misinterpret, you know, just a simple smile, if you will. So yeah, this has been already a beautiful crash course on what's happening when we sleep and, and things that we need to look out for when we sleep. I would love to hear from you what a, when things are going well for you, what a typical day looks like so that you are setting yourself up for success with regard to sleep. Like what amount of sunlight, um, amount of outdoor time are there, is there specific i'm just throwing stuff out there but is there amount of water that you're drinking certain foods that you're eating uh, what time do you work out 
maybe how do you structure your day around creativity? There's there's so many different ways that we could yeah. look at this. And of course, okay. everyone's individual and the yeah. way that works for you isn't going to be for everyone, but of I'm course. sure it'll have yeah. some very useful information. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, the way I would, I, I the first thing I will do is I really keep and, and it becomes more and more natural, but I'm very mindful uh, to keep a consistent bedtime and wake up time. That is crucial. That helps your brain to get into its sleep rhythm. So, so I wake up without an alarm, which is a good sign. That tells me I have my sleep rhythm pretty well, as well as if I work with someone and they tell me I can't wake up without my alarm, that is also a hint you're not getting enough sleep. So I'm listening for different things. But I wake up without an alarm. The first thing I do is part of a practice I maintain every morning is I listen to, it's an hour program to biurnal um, beats in my brain. I do that every single morning. It's a program that could last a good 10 years or a little bit longer, but I'm now on level, very end of level four out of 10 levels. So I do that. I, I love the sounds that this program, this, this company has selected to accompany the beats. So the beats are kind of hidden and it's more of a, an ocean wave, a rain, a this or that. And I find that very relaxing and very transporting. And I also feel it helps to con connect me spiritually to people and places I would like to connect with in that way. So that is what I do first thing each morning. I will drink. I hydrate. That's the first thing I do each morning after that. Hydration is key. Dehydration will lead to your brain having a challenge giving the signal to release melatonin as well. And by the way, after a night of sleep, when you wake up in the morning, we are all dehydrated. We lose close to one liter of fluid in one night of sleep. So I, um, I drink a 16 ounce bottle of water every morning before I have breakfast, before I have my cup of coffee. And I recently started adding electrolytes to my bottle of water, which I, I enjoy the heck out of. I think the brand is called Ultima. It's right on Amazon. It looks like a very clean, healthy, um, you know, type of um, additive I'm putting in there. And so that is what I do. I will get my sunlight. Now this, I don't think I spoke about. In the winter time, I'm not really a winter person and I may not at all get out in the morning. I just may not. It, 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 today it's raining, it might be cold, it blah, 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 blah. So there, if I may, I'd like to just mention two other ways to get strong light exposure in the morning. And the ways, and I use one now much more than the other, but besides going outside for strong light, and that means by the way, no sunglasses because the sunglasses break down the process. But one could use a sun lamp as an option indoors. They give off an abundance of light. And the other thing that I do, which is great, is I use genetic, generically, I would call them light glasses, but the name of them are Retimer Light Therapy Glasses. Retimer Light Therapy Glasses are almost opposite of what blue light blocking glasses are. These glasses do not have a lens. They're just a frame. You do need to charge them. But on the stem, there's a little button that you would press. And on the bottom of either lens here, there are two little lights. And they look kind of bluish. So one is bluish, one is greenish. And when I push the button, these illuminate, and now I have light going into my eyes. And what I love about these glasses are several things. A, if I'm using a 
a sun lamp, the issue that with that is that I need to be seated in order to get my strong light. So I could, and I did it this morning. I do it every morning. I put my glasses on. I could be all over my home getting ready for the day while I'm getting strong light exposure. So that's a great thing about them. The other thing is the sun lamp is extraordinarily bright. So it is usually sun lamps are white lights. Some of them actually are blue lights, but it is a white light and in the sleep world, when we're talking about, you know, the, 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 the strength of the light, the source where it's coming from, the strength of it, we use this term LUX, L-U-X, just like we were talking about the F period LUX, the FLUX program. So LUX, so let me just, let me just go just one little other place and then I'll bounce back if I may. When we talk about artificial light, the problem is, is it's a bully at night. It is too strong and it's a weakling in the morning and during the day. So what I mean by that is the lux of artificial light day or night is close to 500. That takes into account your monitors, your TV, your lighting, blah, 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 blah. At night, prior to artificial light being created, people would have had different light sources. For example, they would have had the full moon as a light source when they were outdoors. The lux of the full moon is more or less 0.25, nowhere near 500. The lux of stars are less than that of the full moon. They would have had candles at a certain point. They were developed about 2,500 years ago. The lux of one candle is 10. So even if they were living indoors in the early 1800s and they lit 10 candles in a room, which would be a lot. We're still talking only 100. Then of course there was flame lighting. They would have had outdoor fire pits or indoor fireplaces of fires that are so contained. I, I don't know the exact lux number, but I do know that it is not high. And also about flame lighting, we consider the colors, which are amber, yellow, red, all these brain friendly colors. So this is why 500 lux at night is a bully and agitates your brain and causes your brain to release wake-up hormone when it shouldn't be there. It is because of the strength. Now, let's go to the morning. If it's a sunny day, and let's make it a nice, strong, sunny day, so let's make it July or something like that, and you were out and about um, even like 10 a.m. or something like that, you could probably be exposed to close to 130,000 lux. Mm. 500 pales, excuse the pun, but pales in comparison to that. If you are outside on an overcast day, so I don't mean an entirely white sky, but a broken up sky of blue and some white, you're still going to be exposed to say 10,000 lux. That gets us to our sun lamp. The majority of them minimally offer 10,000 lux. So that's still a heck of a lot stronger than 500. Now that strength of lighting matters enormously because it requires minimally 10,000 lux to connect with your master clock in the morning and during the day, which is why 500 is a weakling. And, and the method, the methodology, by the way, is this light source, daylight or sunlight, goes through the iris of your eyes, travels through your ocular nerve and goes to your master clock and delivers the message in the morning, which is a new day has started. And that is the message that your master clock is waiting for, which it never gets in the morning from our, our lifestyles. And when it gets that message, it is at that point that it can start to schedule your sleep-wake cycle hormones for the night to come. 
And then what you do in the evening and into the nighttime reinforces that. So now we see this connecting the dots and we get this, whoop, this kind of circular circadian yada yada rhythm. So that's to complete that story. Now you have to get me back on track. Where did, where did I jump off from? Yeah, just other things, it, let's just say you're working out, ah. water, just what are, yeah. what are some okay. things that you do to make sure that you're getting good sleep throughout your day? Yes. Okay. So the water and, and being hydrated all day long, although I always recommend trying to not hydrate while you're eating or about an hour and a half after you eat, because you don't want to dilute your stomach acids, which can lead to reflux, which is now a sleep disorder. So I always say drink, 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 drink up until 10 minutes before eating, eat and drink as little as possible. Allow yourself to digest maybe an hour and a half or whatever after you're done. And then drink, 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 drink. And that's the rhythm. So hydration in such a way is great. Try to stop drinking about two hours before going to sleep. Otherwise, you'll be getting up to go to the bathroom all night long, which isn't necessarily helpful for us. I'm mindful about what I eat. I, I like to eat. I don't want to be uh, obsessive about it because life is short. But I also try to keep my sugar lower on the low end, I also try to do, if I'm drinking coffee, I am always about organic coffee because that's such a heavily pesticided crop. I enjoy in the morning, either I have an excellent food replacement bar that I eat and it's filled with seeds and, and nuts and things like that, which I enjoy. Maybe a piece of fruit on occasion, I'll have some eggs with some bacon. Yes. And I enjoy all of that. I eat gluten-free because I have a gluten sensitivity, so I'm aware of that. I am making these days my own homemade collagen jello, mm. so I am enjoying that. is a fantastic snack. It gives me, you know, strengthens. It's good for your gut lining. It's good for your skin. It's just good for so many. You can make that. You Great Lakes. Collagen, hydrolysated collagen is a, a an excellent resource. It's just clean. And you can flavor your own gelatin with one time I'm doing it with green tea jasmine, organic green tea jasmine, just soaking it up and putting in pieces of melon. Or you could put that electrolyte stuff in it if you want to. And But always with a little fruit. I eat three meals a day. I try to eat a balanced plate. A balanced plate means, you know, some protein, but as healthy products as I can get. So grass-fed, organic carbs are reduced. And I love sweet potatoes and they are a fantastic carb. They're also fantastic to eat at night to help with your sleep. And let's see, I, I have gluten-free cup of tea with two gluten-free cookies in the afternoon right? In the sleep world, we love body movement every day, but we're also good with 30 minutes a day. So I, I will recommend that to clients rather than let's say three times a week of an hour, this mandatory, I have to go to the gym. I don't believe in that. I think that's the fitness industry promoting itself. Well, God bless him. But I think that you can get plenty of beautiful body movement, stress release, toning, all of the wonderful things that come with that in your own home take a walk around the block, but 30 minutes a day. And, and part of also what helps with body movement, movement is that it contributes to your fatigue level. And fatigue is also a key ingredient for sleep. 
With regard to the strong light exposure in the morning, I want to just add that, yes, ideally you would want to get it at sunrise, but I'm also not about being a, a, a sadistic sleep coach. So I will say to people, hey, try to get even 15 minutes in by 830 and try to keep whatever time you do it, try to keep it consistent. Just like you do your nighttime things consistent, make your strong light exposure consistent. I love to write. I am a creative writer. I aspire to write a play one of these days. I am into spiritualism. I am into mediumship. So I am a little bit all over the place. I love to play volleyball. I get some of my best screams on a volleyball court, you know, with joy or the agony. And I also have a glass of red wine every night with dinner. I eat an early dinner. I frequently eat at home with my wife and I always try to get organic wine and a, a red or a red wine that's not terribly sweet. And I give myself plenty of time. I go to bed early. So I'm, and I am, we're eating earlier and earlier, like 5.30, but we're both finding we like that. So I give myself plenty of time between taking my last bite, my last sip, and before getting into bed and just relaxing. I also recommend having a pet to play with and to cuddle with and to kiss and love. So that's pretty much what my day might look like. Yeah, well, I, I'm part of the, the cleanup club that you mentioned <laughs> earlier, and I'm also part of the 5.30 p.m. dinner club. I'm oh, are you? Okay. That. Yeah. It's not always that early, but I really relish in having an early dinner. I, I, I love the, the, on a Friday, if I'm cooking dinner yeah. at 5, 5.30 p.m. and really just cleaning up by 6 and getting settled yeah. for the night, that feels yeah. absolutely ideal. Yeah. Which I might get made fun of, especially if I'm wearing my blue light blockers at night. But oh, it, right. my, it's, my it's body just, and my brain, it's thank just you. Envy. It's just envy. It is. They're just jealous. That's right. So, That's right. So at this point in the conversation, we've focused a lot on the tactical stuff. And there's lots of parts of me that wish that it's only information that we need, that we just need to learn about the behaviors. But I want to lean a little bit on your 25 years of therapeutic and psychological experience and understanding. And I, I know that it's not <clears throat> just the information of what's what influences us a lot more is our operating system and getting clear on what are our patterns? Why are we operating this way? Why does this matter to me? Why, why do I want to get a good night's sleep? And in, you can answer this in any way you'd like to, but I would, I'm wondering when you're working with your clients, what are some of the ways that you're helping them get to the root of that? Because it isn't just about knowing what to do. It's, it's understanding themselves at a, a deeper level fundamentally. 100%. For many people that I work with, they're only coming to me because they're desperate. They're saying that not sleeping is having an impact. And, and they would really prefer not to be there talking with me, but they, they don't have a choice. And others are there more voluntarily. But in either case, I think one of the challenges to help people with is, is allowing them to understand the value of sleep. Most people have no idea about the value of sleep. Sleep also, so it's not valued as it should be. It's, it's much more valued to work out at the gym. 
And I think part of that is because when you work out at the gym, you can see your body changing. Or if you go and you're on a diet, you can see your body changing. But you're not necessarily going to see that when you sleep. And by the way, I'm sorry, but I am going to just sneak this right in there. The biggest factor to obesity is sleep, not not working out and not overeating. It's because it's sleep deprivation. And when you're sleep deprived, you wake up and it messes with your eating hormones and your satiety hormone, and it leads to obesity. So I'll just put that back on the side. So value of sleep. People just think it's a waste of time. Why, you know, I am losing a third of my life while I am asleep. And I have to speak to them about that that's not necessarily the case. So let's say we accomplish that they now understand that there's more to sleep than they ever realized. Another thing that I have to work with people on is to help them. People, if they're having a hard time sleeping, people can start to really psych themselves out that they can't sleep. I, I, I associate it with like a, a type of performance anxiety. They convince themselves that they can't sleep, that they cannot fall asleep, or heaven forbid they wake up during the night. It's the dread that, talk about cortisol that shoots through the roof. Oh my God, I'll never fall back to sleep. So, you know, I need to talk to them about that they have every capacity in the world to sleep. That that capacity is not, the issue. The issue is, is that their mind is playing tricks on them and telling them things that is not true. So there's that piece of it. Then there's this piece of, there's a heck of a lot of competition at night to do things other than to sleep. And, you know, it's not like in our Paleolithic era, you know, it's dark out. You don't really want to go back out after you eat because, you know, who knows what's out there. And, for us, though, because we have this artificial light bulb, it's daytime as far as people are concerned. And I am I have a lot to do and I'm going to keep on working or I'm going to go out and party or I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that and blah, 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 blah. And by the way, what kind of life is it anyway? If you would go to sleep at 930, what kind of life is that life is too short? And so there's this bias even against sleep that it gets in the way of doing what one wants to do. So once again, that is a discussion to talk about, to help them understand that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be that they should never go out. I would never propose that to anyone. Life is too short. But it also shouldn't be that you never get your sleep in ever and it's just haphazard. So I kind of talk to people about an 80-20 rule, which is 80% of the time, if you can establish your sleep consistency, your rhythm over the course of your lifetime, you will be well ahead of the vast majority of people in the entire world. And 20% of the time, you should do whatever the heck you want to do, because 20% of the time, at least, there are things that are going on that you want to do. And, and, and being social is also important. Then we need to talk about how in the world do they wind down? A lot of people don't know how to do that. They don't understand the concept because they're busy, busy, busy until one second before going to sleep. Maybe they're doing laundry, folding laundry, blah, 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 this and that. I'm talking, I'm on social media. They have no idea about the concept of slowing down. So with them, I talk to them about our brains, like the sun, are, they're both on this 24-hour rhythm. We are synced 
and we're wired. And so I will talk about, you know, there was sunrise and that was our first alarm clock for people to rise. Then, you know, at high noon, when the sun's at its strongest for a couple of hours, that's when for many of us, our metabolisms are at our peak. Then there was sunset. And the value of sunset is that it is those, those rays outdoors are different at in sunset than they are at midday. And that is a message. That is now another message. The sun's telling your brain, start to set, start to slow down, start to unwind, which we don't get. We're, we're exposed to 500 lux at night problem. And then there was sundown. And sundown always used to mean go to sleep and I'll see you in the morning. And for us, sundown means like I'm going to meet my friends and I'm going to go out and I'm going to have a blast and I'm going to sleep in and all those things. And I would also one last thing I'll add is that most people don't sleep in this pitch dark room. There's light coming in. And so they are constantly exposed to light. We have light sensors all over our skin. So if you have a haze of light in your room, your skin will be talking to your brain about it all night long. And this is wired also because once upon a time when we lived outdoors and we were getting, let's say, too much sun, the skin would say to the brain, get out of here. I'm getting too much. Get me out of here. So all of these things factor in. So learning how to get a pre-bedtime routine, learning how to discuss discover new things other than social media that you can enjoy, but will help you to wind down. Learning how to not only wind down, but I love the concept of transporting oneself. So out of a day that might've been stressful to a place where no one can touch you and no one has a right to. And that's why I am not thrilled with social media because I feel it gets in the way of us connecting with our inner self, our inner souls. So Pre-bedtime routine could be something like this. Maybe the first earlier part you watch TV, and I also would say with your glasses on, and also nothing that is filled with murder and stress. And even the evening news or nighttime news, I'm sorry, that is like not something that should, I feel, be the last thing we go to sleep to. Maybe people want to read. Again, something to read should not be action-packed or riveting so that you cannot close the book, which would keep you up later than you want to. But what I recommend to people, so many people now that I have worked with love to color at night. They have gotten coloring books, they are coloring. With that, I will encourage them to create a scene, a scenario that moves them. For example, the lights are dimmed, maybe you're coloring, or arts and crafts of any kind are a big hit with people. But I love the idea of some kind of sound in the background that can be transporting. So it might be an ocean wave sound, a rain sound. I happen to love Gregorian chant. I find that if that's going to transport me, it does. I'm in a whole different century. Cello music, anything like that is helpful. I also encourage people, if they are feeling stress or they want help winding down, to the trick about using just ordinary cool packs. So you can be in an easy chair and you could be listening to positive affirmations if you want. You could have aromatherapy going on, but you also can use a cool pack behind your neck 
And the value for like 20 minutes or so. Now, the value of that is we have the longest nerve in our body is the vagus nerve. And there are many ways to activate it. The vagus nerve is directly associated and connected with the parasympathetic or your relaxation center, your parasympathetic nervous system versus many of us are in sympathetic, means you're stressed. Well, one of the ways to activate your vagus nerve is to use coolness. And it won't happen the first night because there's this thing known as vagal toning. It's like going to the gym. You want to tone. The very first time you work out, you're not going to be toned. It may take you a bit of time. But if you do this cooling thing for your vagus nerve or other, you can sing, you can gargle. I mean, there are many ways to activate your vagus nerve. If you engage in that on a daily basis, say for 20 minutes, you can tone your vagus nerve. And that means it will be much easier for you to move yourself out of sympathetic and into parasympathetic. So that can be part of your pre-bedtime routine. If you instead place a cool pack across your forehead, underneath your forehead, that is your prefrontal cortex of the brain. That is your thought center. And a lot of people will talk about, I had so much, I can't stop my mind. It's racing, yada, yada, blah, 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 blah. Well, I could say, maybe when you first get into bed, if you have that experience, you can put a cool path. There's research out there that shows people who are taking two hours to fall asleep because of stress, anxiety, thoughts, when they started placing a cool path across their foreheads, they shifted from two hours to 18 minutes. And 18 minutes falls within the norm. We're looking when someone gets into bed to fall asleep within 10 to 20 minutes. By the way, for people who think that they're doing great because they get into bed and they fall asleep in less than five minutes. Sorry, another sign that you're sleep deprived. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit too quick. So that's all about what I would do with people, a pre-bedtime routine, and then how to learn how to self-soothe in the middle of the night. Because truth is we all wake up during the night. We don't realize it, but we all do. From one, the end of one sleep cycle to the next, in that little micro time period, we wake up. And some of us just roll over, we fall back to sleep, but others of us are so loaded with cortisol. And maybe we went to sleep thinking about things that were agitating that guess what we wake up to? Those thoughts. So there are many ways to work with that. But I will share with people my process. I will encourage them to consider their immediate environment and the comfort and safety of their rooms, their mattress. I share with them that I used to work with people who were homeless and were horrified to sleep either in a shelter or outdoors. And I am, if I wake up, maybe I won't fall back to sleep, but I am so grateful that I have the ability to close my eyes and not have to fear for my life or have to fear that my belongings will be stolen. So I look at it that way. I also can be obnoxious about it and look at it as my time to luxuriate. I am horizontal. I don't have to speak to anyone. I don't have to listen to anyone. My partner, my wife's asleep and it's all, this is like spectacular me time. I make peace with the fact that I have woken up. I accept it. I don't fight it. When we fight it, then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I compare it to a salmon swimming upstream. What I like to picture is I turn around and go with the flow. So I simply embrace it. 
And I will also recommend to people that they, people are under the impression that thoughts control them. So I teach them that actually we control our thoughts and how to shift their thoughts. And we can talk about breathing techniques. We can talk about counting backwards, a thousand by threes. We can talk about progressive muscle relaxation. That's all about shifting your thoughts. But what I like to do is I like to focus on my thoughts about things that may have happened that day or at any point in my life. Memories, things that happen that either make me feel loved or proud or I'm laughing, like memories with best friends on a vacation of this, of that, and I just go there. And then I help them to understand that the truth of the matter is, is once one learns how to self-calm again, because we all know it as babies. Babies will cry when they're very young, they cry because they need to eat. Then they get a little older and they start crying less and they need less soothing. And then they discover their thumb or they can roll over and now they learn how to self-soothe. And to the parent's jubilation, the child is now sleeping through the night because they have accomplished this, this, this ability to self-soothe and we lose that as adults. So this is simply about reconnecting to a skill that they once had. Yeah, there's, there's so much in here, Susan, and I, I want to underline a few things. And we're also, unfortunately, running a little low on time here. So I, I'll try my best to be very efficient with the underlining. But I'm struck by what you were describing actually evoked for me. I don't know if you're familiar with the book Atomic Habits, but there's a way that if you wake up in the middle of the night, we'll call that a cue. Our default response might be to worry and to ruminate in our thoughts. And what I'm hearing from you is that you actually use that cue to reflect on things that you're grateful for or what's amazing about the moment. And there's an immense transformation that can happen if we, instead of being beholden to our thoughts, say, no, that's that's not the road that I'm going to go down right now. I'm actually going to insert a new thought here. And it doesn't just apply to sleep. That can apply to any time that you have a worry thought that you don't have to go down that road for however long. A lot of times it becomes our entire temperament and personality is that we're just constantly worried and stressed. There's always every present moment. And you alluded to there's breathing techniques. There's so many different ways and modalities that can orient you to the present moment. But if we just choose to insert a thought that we would rather have over time, that grooves a new habit formation. And so I'm struck by that. And I'm also struck by the identity level way that you can affect transformation, meaning that you said at one point, there's a lot of times a belief that your client might have that they're not a good sleeper. Uh, I'm just not wired that way. I, I don't need four hours. I, I don't need eight hours. I can do four if you can help someone at an identity level realize, yeah, I can sleep just as well as any other human on the planet. And they really believe that that seems foundational for all of the other stuff to go on top of. And yet another thing that I want to underline in your response, when you, when you spoke about obesity briefly, there's a study and I'm going to butcher this a little bit, but I'll link to the study in the show notes. I believe it was the CEO of Aura, the, the sleep tracking ring company, who, yeah, and you're wearing one, which I will also link to the show notes. I'll link to Aura. But I believe I heard the CEO on a podcast talk about a study where 
there were two groups. There was a control group and a group that was sleep deprived. And they controlled for, I think, body type, the food that was being consumed. They, they tried to control for all the other variables except for time slept. And the group that was sleep deprived gained 50% more weight than the group that otherwise did exactly the same thing. Yeah. And what you were alluding to is, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong about the hormones here, but your brain produces a hormone called ghrelin. That is that Gre right? Ghrelin, ghrelin is your hunger hormone and leptin is your satiety hormone. Mm -hmm. And so when you wake up with a lack of sleep, your ghrelin is elevated, skyrocketed, and your leptin is really nowhere to be found. So you wake up hungry. And, and unfortunately, you wake up for cravings for carbohydrates. And because your leptin is deprived, even after you eat, you don't stay full for long. And then you go right back to it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that when I that blew my mind the first time that I saw that, because there is a lot and nutrition and movement, of course, are so important. But sleep, if, if I may, I, I think I agree with you that sleep is probably the most important. And of course, they all interplay with each other. Yes. What you eat affects your sleep and what you, as we've <clears throat> named here, sleep clearly impacts what you eat, because if you don't sleep well, you're going to be hungrier and you're also not going to know right. when you're full. So they, they all right. do play with each other. And that's why I think holistic health coaches and, and holistic health, it, it also gets a little bit of a bad rep sometimes, but they all really play with each other. So it's really important to know about all of them. Uh, I well, will just say this as quickly as possible. 100% I concur. And the way I like to talk about it with my clients is think of a four legged stool and each leg represents one of those, you know, nutrition, physical body workout, stress reduction and sleep. And imagine if you remove one of those legs, what will happen with regard to trying to sit on that stool won't be nearly as easy. Imagine if you remove a second leg, that's going to take a lot more effort to keep moving. And then imagine if you remove a third leg, it's really not going to work that well at all. So they are connected in such a way and they support each other. And we do best when we are kind of like looking at things in an umbrella type of way, all encompassing. Yes. Beautiful. Well, I have just a couple more questions for you, but is there anything that we haven't spoken about so far today about sleep or otherwise that you would like to bring into the conversation now? I'll just mention very, very quickly. A lot, a lot of people ask me this. So I, I think that's why I'll bring it up. A lot of people ask me my thoughts about supplementing with melatonin. Mm -hmm. And I have, I have uh, strong feelings about this. First of all, I want to say melatonin has been out and about for about 10 years or so longer, but in, in such a mass marketed way. And there was just a report, I'm sorry to remember, but it came out last spring. And it was a report indicating all the overdosing of melatonin for, by young children, primarily boys who are four years old. And that is because it's being marketed as a, a candy, like in gummies and things like that. And parents are not aware that when you give your child mega doses of melatonin, it could be lethal. And in fact, four children or so died, including a three month old baby who was given melatonin. And the parent clearly thought, oh, my child's probably crying. Let me help them sleep. So I have I do have a, a, a real bone to pick with with the, the marketeers of, the, of this. Melatonin is a hormone. Hormones, when we supplement with them, can become problematic if we continue to supplement the hormone day in and day out, day in and day out. At, at a certain point in time, 
your brain, which gets signals to release your natural melatonin, at one at a certain point, it's going to say, wait a second, there's melatonin here already, so I don't need to give this signal. And when that happens, your brain will never give the signal again. So you are now dependent upon this melatonin supplement, which is horrifying to me because again, we have all these children who are given melatonin. And lastly, I'll just say this about melatonin. In our country, bigger is better. I think that's our mentality. So typically a melatonin supplement will be three milligrams, even one, one, three, five, 10. I hear it all. When your brain gives the signal to release your melatonin naturally, the dosage is between 0.3 and 0.5 milligrams. So it is a, a, a real abuse, I feel. Melatonin is not intended to put people to sleep. Our melatonin is simply to help us to feel drowsy. And that is it. It can lead to very peculiar dreams, and it could lead to a real, real challenge getting up in the morning when you're bombarded and flooding, floating around in all this melatonin. So you can do better. Melatonin is not in anyone's interest. And I'll add this as long as we're talking about melatonin. Any sleep aids, prescribed or not, do not give you authentic sleep. They are just knocking you out like a hypnotic. You're not going to pass through the stages that lead to your restoration. And invariably, they will all most likely lead to your dependence upon them. So I've said my piece. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. Thank you for this wonderful crash course. And like I said, I just have a, a couple more questions for you that, that don't yeah. really pertain to sleep. But what is an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? Uh, probably interacting with my dog. I just love her. I, I did not have pets when I was a kid. And I think I wanted a dog my whole life. And finally, when I was in my mid 50s, my wife said, let's do this. And we've had her now for quite a while. And she just brings me an enormous amount of joy. She makes me laugh. I just love her to death. So being with my dog is a moment, an everyday moment that would bring me great joy. Beautiful. Yeah. Every every episode I ask the guest, what's an organization or a charity that you would like to raise awareness for? And you have present ASPCA. And I'm wondering if you just want to say a, a word or two about ASPCA and why you selected that organization. No, I, I um, you know, again, I guess, gee whiz, that, that just kind of led from one of my greatest joys. I, I have grown to be an animal lover. And we have three foster animals, two two felines and our canine dog. And it breaks my heart when I see the commercials. You know, I think it's uh, Sarah McLaughlin who's singing in the arms of an angel. And I see all these poor dogs. And I just would love to contribute to a cause that just remembers that human beings are so important, but but I think all all beings are important as well. And they can't speak up for themselves. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I'm going to link to that. I'll be donating to ASPCA. I invite the listeners to, of course, do the same. And I will also link to anywhere that people can connect with you online at your website. And if you're on any social media platforms, I will link to those as well. And the final question that I ask every interview, the podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. 
And I would love to know in the words of Susan, what does it mean to live a meaningful life? I think a meaningful life is to be connected with love, number one. Number two, connected with love. Mm. And number three, connected with love. And there are so many places to have that occur, whether it's here on the earthen plane with my spouse, with family members, with friends, with pets, with myself, and whether it is going into the spiritual realm Mm -hmm. and connecting with my loved ones. And yeah, a knowledge is a beautiful thing also. It's because of knowledge that I've been able to expand my ability to have and be loved. Well, a beautiful bow to a a very nice interview. We didn't even get into spirituality in the way that I anticipated we might, but perhaps (laughs) for another conversation, I just wanted to have this full download on sleep and and you really provided that and more. I I really appreciate your understanding. There's many things that I found really refreshing about the way that you just went through the past hour and a half or so that there was no mention at all except to stay away if anything from different supplements and different types of interventions that it's really accessible in ways that are pretty natural for the most part to get a good night's sleep and i think it it's one of the frenzies that societally we are in is that we think we need to have you know 800 supplements and we need to right, right? like we need to do so many different things And I also, the first time that you and I connected, I'm not sure if you remember this, but you did make mention of that four-legged stool that you think of. Oh, did I? Okay. And I, and I really, that's one of the reasons I invited you on is because there's, you understand very well the interplay between nutrition, sleep, movement, stress, and just understanding of human behavior with your background in psychology and your care for making a difference for people. So all of that really, it makes for a really great conversation because not only do you have that knowledge and understanding of what's happening within us in our brain, and you mentioned the vagus nerve and there's just an understanding of the entire physiology, but you also bring that care and that heart. And you, you mentioned love is a meaningful life that I think it brings that, that oomph into the work that you're doing. So yeah. I, yeah. all of that to say, I really appreciate you and the work that you're doing and you taking the time to be here on the show. There's so many beautiful things I'll link to in the show notes here that'll be useful for the listeners. And it was an absolute blast for me. Oh, well, I am honored and privileged and really enjoyed being here. And, and this interview was wonderful. I loved your questions. I'm, I, you know, and that these things matter to you and that you have listeners that it will matter to. And that's the more, the more of us, the better off things will be. Just have, just keep moving it forward and, and supporting people and just helping people to learn. Once people learn, I find that they're thrilled. They're thrilled. So, yes. so thank you so much for the invitation. I appreciate it very much so. You're very welcome. And to all the listeners, whenever you are listening, I hope that you have a good rest of your day or evening, that you get a beautiful night's sleep and you take care. (laughs) Sweet dreams, sweet dreams. Sweet dreams, lots of love. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends and leave a review. 
I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace. Thank you.